Do you have trouble seeing up close or far away? How about at night? I know I do. Go check out Design for Vision and Sunglass Central. They are the premier eye care center for all eyeglasses, sunglasses, and contact lenses in southeastern PA. Whether it is the quality eyeglasses, sunglasses, or contacts that you're looking for, their styles represent the latest in fashionable but affordable eyewear. Not only do they offer a wide selection of non-prescription brands, but they offer prescription lenses fabrication. Whether it's in-store or online, they carry all major brands such as Oakley, Dolce & Gabbana, Coach, Michael Kors, Ray-Ban, Maui Jim, Wiley X, and many more. With over 50 years of experience, Design for Vision and Sunglass Central are the best in fabrication, selection, and fitting of designer and specialty glasses. Design for Vision has convenient locations in Morrisville, Levittown, New Hope, Newtown, and Jameson. Sunglass Central can be found at the New Hope, Newtown, and Jameson locations. That's designforvision.com and sunglasscentral.net. This is Chet with Flow Racing. You're listening to the Four Wide Salute Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Four Wide Salute Podcast presented by Line Decker Racing Engines. Go check out Line Decker Racing Engines on Facebook. Pop in J Line Decker Racing Engines into the search bar and go see what Jason's got going on. On to our breaking news items. Going to start off with the high limit sprint car series schedule that came out this past week. Couple of surprises that. I certainly wasn't expecting, and I can't imagine that any of you were as well. Kicking off March 28th at Thunderbolt Raceway at, of course, Tulare out in California, 23,000 to win. It is a non points race, and yes, there will be a points champion in 2023 for the High Limit Sprint Car Series. Your points get underway April 11th, Lakeside Speedway in Kansas. 50,000 to win that one. Then April 25th, 34 Raceway in Iowa, 23,000 to win. May 2nd, Kokomo Speedway in Indiana, 23,000 to win. May 16th, Wayne County Speedway in Ohio, 32,000 to win that one. May 31st, they head over to Tri City Speedway in Illinois, 23,000 to win. June 6th, Eagle Raceway in Nebraska, 23,000 to win. Then one of the first surprises, July 25th, Grandview Speedway here in Pennsylvania, 23,000 to win. August 15th, Hussett's Speedway in South Dakota, 23,000 to win. September 26th, the Commonwealth Clash returns at Lernerville Speedway, 50,000 to win. Then the next surprise, October 3rd, Bridgeport Motorsports Park down in Jersey, 23,000 to win there. And the finale, October 10th, Lincoln Park Speedway in Indiana, 
yes, otherwise known as Putnamville, the track we saw the debut of this series at, 23,000 to win as well. 12 race schedule, a bit of a variety, not your typical sprint car tracks. No Williams Grove, Lincoln, or Port Royal, obviously. No Knoxville, no Eldora, but definitely some good tracks in there. What main thing I'm looking at here is smaller, with the exception of Lernerville, banked, more technical. You know, Putnamville was an awesome show last year. Tri City is always a good show. Wayne County, of course, Ohio tracks. Kokomo, badass. A lot of variety here. So let's see what it produces in 2023. And let's see who shows up. That's going to be a big part of this as well. Speaking of schedules, let's go to the Short Track Super Series. Their schedule came out this past week as well. Elite's schedule looks a little different in 2023. One less event. There were six on the schedule this year. And now only five. Also, the pay has changed as well. This past year, it was 25000 to win at minimum. Now we're seeing 12000 to win shows for three out of the five. Kicking off with Hagerstown, March 11th, mods in the mid-Atlantic, 12000 to win that show. April 8th, hard clay open. Orange County Fair Speedway, 12000 to win that one. Then we wait until September 3rd, New Yorker 50, Utica, Rome, 12000 to win. September 16th, Fonda 200, of course, Fonda Speedway, 53000 to win that one. And then the Elite Series finale, October 14th, Port Royal Speedway, 50000 to win as well. Now, I don't know if the purse throughout the field is going to remain the same. And maybe just a heftier pay throughout or what the deal is. But of course, as I stated, the first place prize on three of these did drop. So we'll see what happens. On to the North region. April 8th, Orange County, of course, as I mentioned, that's one of the elite races. Then May 9th at Accord for the Battle of the Bullring. June 6th, Outlaw Speedway for the Outlaw Showdown. June 18th, Devil's Bowl Speedway in Vermont for the Slate Valley 50. July 2nd, Fonda Speedway for the Firecracker 50 over the 4th of July weekend. July 20th, Utica Rome Speedway. That's the appreciate Evans Remembered event. Then it's the two days we spoke about last week. July 25th and 26th, Autodrome Granby and Le RPM up in Canada. Then... September 3rd, Utica Rome Speedway, once again, that's the New Yorker 50. September 14th through the 16th, Fonda 200 weekend. October 6th and 7th, Afton Motorsports Park, that is the Short Track Super Nationals 15. Non-points event for the Modifieds, but I believe that's the crate finale. And again, will they continue the streak of no repeat winners? And then the finale, October 20th, Orange County Ferris Speedway for the Hard Clay finale. On to the South region, kicking off, of course, Hagerstown, March 11th. Then we go to March 18th, Sealands Grove. That's the icebreaker. 
No Port Royal the day after. I misspoke on my episode with Bert and Adam. We speculated as it's been that way for the past two years. No Port Royal that Sunday. But we head to Bridgeport Motorsports Park March 25th. That is the Doug Hoffman Memorial. May 16th, Delaware International, US 13 or Del Mar, however you want to call it. That is the Diamond State 50. Then July 9th, Bridgeport Motorsports Park once again. That is the South Jersey Shootout. August 1st, which we talked about last week, that's the Data Action Track. Kutztown, one-fifth of a mile. I misspoke on an eighth. It's a fifth. Non-points event. Going to be a unique format. Can't wait to see what happens there. Then we go August 8th, New Egypt. That is the Dirty Jersey. August 29th, Georgetown Speedway. The annual blast at the beach. Then October 12th, 13th, and 14th, two events within three days at Port Royal. That's a speed showcase. And then the finale, October 27th and 28th, Georgetown Speedway. That is your Mid-Atlantic Championship weekend. So some different stuff here. Of course, the Canadian dates, Hagerstown. Kutztown, but just some moving around with some dates here, it looks like, and uh, we'll see what's in store for the Short Track Super Series this year. On to the Chili Bowl. So as of Friday, we are at 339 entries, 64 A-Main starters, 70 rookies, and only five past champions. That's it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. I think it's going to make it better. It's not going to be the Bell and Larson show. And then we saw the news of Gravel and Sweet stating that it wasn't worth their time, doesn't pay their mortgage, whatever the case was. Whatever. Guys run it because they want to race or they want the driller. It's one of the, it's a trophy race. I don't think it's a make your living race. Not like everyone's out there to make a million dollars. I mean, 339 entries, that's a lot. We see midget races throughout the country that pay potentially more than that. Let's look at Placerville. Hangtown 100 paid 20 grand to win. They didn't have 339 entries. So these guys who are pissing and moaning about how much they're getting paid to win, it's the prestige of it. I get it. You want to race for money. But let's look at the guys that bailed out. Kyle Larson. Multi-millionaire, NASCAR champion, Christopher Bell, NASCAR driver, made the final four in all three divisions of NASCAR, millionaire, gotta be. And then you have your top two drivers in World of Outlaw sprint cars, David Gravel and Brad Sweet. Brad Sweet's won the Kings Royal, won Knoxville Nationals, four-time and defending champion. Gravel's won his share of everything as well. We're talking about guys whose pockets ain't empty. And you're going to bail out on an event like this. Okay, Larson and Bell have won more, more than once. They've won the Chili Bowl. Maybe it's time. Okay, I'm done. But Brad Sweet and Gravel? I don't get the argument. Maybe it's just me. I'm not a driver. Maybe it's just me. But a chance to showcase your talents for a week when you're not 
racing anything else. And maybe they will. Maybe they have other plans to go do something else. Who knows? But don't give me the, we should be paid more. Now you just sound greedy. But your five past champions that are showing up in Thorson, McCready, Rico, Yaley, and Swindell. I mean, Sammy Swindell has won more in sprint car racing than Gravel and Sweet have combined. And you don't see him crying about it. Give me a break. Also in Chili Bowl news, Tim Bertrand, who is known for having asphalt midget rides, has fielded many cars. He has now paired up with Kevin Swindell and entered a partnership entry for the Chili Bowl with Logan Seavey. While the Swindell name is involved, this car will not feature the legendary Swindell look. This car is a brand new spike chassis with a brand new motor. I think this makes Logan Seavey a legitimate threat. Yes, Buddy Kofoid's going to be in the field. Not in a 67 car, mind you. He's going to be in a 71. The 67 will be Ryan Thames. And yes, there are many, many other drivers in this field. Grant is on the verge of busting out as well with a Chili Bowl win. Thorsten finally got it done last year. But I think Seavey has got to be the favorite. I could be wrong. This car could be a dud. Who knows? But that's my pick. No Larson, no Bell. I'm going CV. Another wingless news. Dason Persley, former guest of the show, will compete on the USAC National Sprint Tour full-time as he and KO Motorsports have paired up for the 2023 season. I believe he's taking the ride that McDougal had last year. As I did state that Dason will be paired up with Chase Stockin as his teammate and mentor. So congratulations to Bursley after all he's overcome with his bad accident in the Southwest. Awesome, awesome to see. USAC's Triple Crown Award will reward a driver earning triple championships in 2023 with $300,000. If the reward goes unclaimed, It rolls over to 2024 and the payout jumps up to $400,000. If no driver is able to triple up in 2024, the Triple Crown prize rises again to half a million dollars in 2025. USAC is adamantly trying to get guys to run all three divisions. They're putting up a hefty prize here. I wonder if we see some flexibility. If we see guys actively searching for a silver crown ride that they don't have or a midget ride that they don't run. CV gave it a tough fight this year. Had some issues with losing the Baldwin ride and the midget ride. There's been issues there and it's hard. It is. It's hard. Guys want to win all the time. And... You never know when your car owner is going to back out or pull out. Not everyone has NASCAR money, as Kenny Wallace states, so where they can just keep funding a team with no results. So we'll see what happens here. But back to this payout, it's the latest in USAC's stream of announcements for increased payout in 2023. Earlier, it was announced that USAC national champions can double and even triple their point fund payout during the upcoming season with 
USAC's newly announced win two times two and win three times three rewards program. USAC's premier circle track divisions offer a base championship payout of 50000 for the top points driver. That is in the Amsoil Sprint Car National Championship, 30000 in the NOS Energy Drink Midget National Championship, and 20000 in Silver Crown. If a driver can win two of the three championships in 2023, that driver will be able to double their overall reward. For example, a driver who captures both the sprint and midget titles will receive a base payout of 80000 That, of course, is 50000 for the sprints and 30000 for the midgets. In turn, that money will double to 160000 in total monetary rewards by scoring two titles. Furthermore, if a driver can win all three championships, that driver will be able to triple their overall reward. Winning all three will result in a base payout of 100000 with the achievement that money will triple to 300000 in total monetary rewards after sweeping the USAC titles. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. That's all I'm thinking. And speaking of which, on to sprint car news, Eldora Speedway is doing it again, and this time with a wing on. Eldora had a TBD date in place prior to the running of the King's Royal, and we now know what it's for. The Wednesday and Thursday before the King's Royal and the Joker's Wild will now be the first ever $1 million to win sprint car race. I know some of you were upset that the historical big one was not rebooked. I'd take a million dollar to win race over 175 or 100,000 or 150,000. This is the first time since Eldora put up 200,000 to win a sprint car race that Jack Haudenshield won years ago. This is the first time we're seeing this. Now, yes, Houston's will have their quarter of a million to win race, but this is insane. As we saw in 2022 with the Dirt Million for the late models, it is only fitting that now we have one in place for the sprint cars. I'm curious. We saw 123 or 126 late models show up for the Dirt Million. How many sprint cars do we get? Is it over? Or is it under? I'm thinking it's going to be under. I'm thinking we're going to see 85 to 90. My only guess. I could be wrong. And then how many stick around for the King's Royal? So the King's Royal in 2022 had 54 entries. I think we will see an increase in King's Royal. I think we won't hit 100 for sprint cars. That's just my guess. Sprint Car Hall of Fame inductees for 2023 were announced this past week, and the inductees are as follows. Ken Hamilton, Chad Kemenaw, Corey Cruzman, Bobby Marshall, Joey Saldana, Johnny Capels, Paul Hazen, Tommy Sanders, Max Dolder, Alan Kreitzer, Ralph Shaheen, Johnny Vance, and Joey Ray. National Sprint Car polls for non-wing 360s and 410s released their award winners this past Friday. 
In the non-wing side of things, Justin Grant named Driver of the Year, and of course, Top Motorsports named Team of the Year. Joe Devon of DRC Chassis was the Builder and Manufacturer of the Year. Chet Christner, friend of the show, was given the Media Member Award. Kyle Cummins was your wild card. The O'Connor family from Kokomo Speedway, named Promoters of the Year, and Emerson Axum, Rookie of the Year. The 360s, Blake Hahn, Driver of the Year, and of course, Blake Hahn Racing, Team of the Year. Frank Galusha of EMI was your Builder Manufacturer of the Year. Brian Hurlbert and Michael Rigsby are your media members. Chase Randall was your wild card. Doug Johnson of Houston Speedway, Promoter of the Year. And Kyler Johnson, Rookie of the Year. And in the 410s, Brent Marks, Driver of the Year and Murray Marks Racing Team of the Year. Stevie Smith, Builder Manufacturer of the Year. B-Walks, Brian Walker was your media member. Anthony Macri, Wildcard. Briggs Danner and Max Mitchry, Rookie of the Year co-winners. And Doug Johnson of Houston Speedway once again for the 360s and 410s was your promoter of the year. And also in Sprint Car News, The folks who decided to break in and vandalize Lawrenceburg Speedway, I hope to God, are caught and just raked over the coals. To break into a track, vandalize it, bust windows, then decided to steal all of the keys to all the tractor equipment, golf carts, push trucks, you name it, they took it. And then tried to joyride all over the facility. Ended up getting stuck with a golf cart and I believe also a push truck. And as of this past week, had not been caught. So I hope everyone in the town of Lawrenceburg is on high alert. And if you know something, contact the authorities. Let's get these punks taken care of. John Trone has announced he is fielding a two-car stable in 2023 with drivers Troy Wagaman Jr. and Cameron Smith behind the wheel. And lastly, in late model news, a big surprise came out this past week as the now former driver of the Rocket House car has announced he will be fielding a Longhorn chassis next year when the newly formed Shepard Riggs Racing hits the track. The first time in 10 years Brandon Shepard will not be in a rocket chassis. Very interesting. His comments went as far as to state that Longhorn's future plans align more with what he's looking for than rockets do. Very interesting. Those are your breaking news items. On to your results. And yes, I have one. Last night... Power Eye Midget League Junior Nepper 55 Southern Illinois Center out in Ducoin, Illinois. Your winner, Daniel Robinson over Zach Bowden, Kyle Cummins, Matt Westfall, and Joe B. Miller rounded out the top five. And on to our upcoming events. And they look something like this. Nothing coming up next weekend. Obviously, it's the holiday. We have Christmas Eve and Christmas. But shortly after that, Tulsa 
shootout. Kicking off Monday, the day after Christmas, parking and check-in for all classes. And then Tuesday, we start off with practice at 8 o'clock. Then there's a brief period of tech at 6 o'clock at night. And these, of course, are all central time. Remember that people here in the East Coast. And then 7 o'clock at night, they will start racing. The classes, of course, are winged outlaw, non-wing outlaw, winged A-class, stock non-wing, restricted A-class, and junior sprints. And then we get into the fun part of the schedule. Wednesday kicks off with racing at 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central, and it goes all day long. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, New Year's Eve. It is golden driller time. Racing will begin at noon here on the East Coast on Saturday. All last chance qualifiers and A features following opening ceremonies. And of course, this all depends on what the car counts look like. This could fluctuate as far as time goes. But it it's great because it's indoor, no rainouts. A lot of people have off between the holidays, between Christmas and New Year's. Ain't got nothing better to do, kick back and watch some awesome micro racing all week long on Flow Racing. This and the Chili Bowl are worth the price of the subscription period. But those are your upcoming events. Those are your results. As always, thank you to all of our followers and subscribers. Like and share the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Smash the five-star rating button on all the podcast platforms. Big thank you to Kenny Bruce and Bill Brown and Company for the support. And we get into our episode this week. It's fitting. Tulsa Shootout Chili Bowl indoor season is upon us. It is also upon us here on the East Coast with our Lenny Salmons Productions events. And that's who I decided to get on the podcast this week. Lenny Salmons has been around for quite some time. A lot of you know Lenny Salmons through the Area Auto Racing News publication or the indoor shows or Motorsports Expo. And it's awesome to hear Lenny's story of how this all came to be about. And a couple of other hot topic items came up as well. And of course, we button her up with the Green White Checkered segment. So I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday. There will be no new episodes until after New Year's. I'm looking for the week of the Chili Bowl to be back on air. Going to take a little bit of a holiday break. Of course, all of you deserve a break as well, and don't need to be listening to me. So enjoy your holiday, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Boxing Day, whatever it may be. Enjoy it with your family and friends. Take a load off. Enjoy yourself some indoor racing at Tulsa, and I'll be back with those results. Like I said, the weekend after New Year's. And as far as New Year's goes, drink responsibly and drive recklessly. And until next time, enjoy the show. Are you looking to make your mark in the construction world? Join the growing crew at Pioneer Pole Buildings. 
Does switching up your routine interest you? Look no further than Pioneer Pole Buildings. Pioneer Pole Buildings travels to seven states on a regular basis and returns home most evenings. Would you like to be paid travel time and extra money when you do have to stay overnight? They have that covered too. They have full-time positions on their crews constructing pole barns. Pioneer also completes re-roofs, additions, insulation and interior liner, as well as custom builds. Pioneer Pole Buildings is looking for carpenters based out of the Schuylkill Haven, Reinholds, Nutripoli, and Upper Black Eddy areas. You can contact Pioneer Pole Buildings through their Facebook page or on the web at ppb1.com or via telephone at 1-800-448-2505 or you can contact Jess directly at 570-739-0078 extension 132. Pioneer Pole Buildings could be your future. On this week's episode of the Four Wide Salute Podcast, I have with me the man behind Area Auto Racing News, Mr. Lenny Sammons. So busy season is upon us, as you well know, with the indoor stuff coming up and then, of course, the Motorsports Expo. So uh, tell me what's been going on in your end. Well, we're busy here in the planning stages. Uh, we still have uh, one edition of Area Auto to come out uh, next week, and that's our kind of our season review with all the point standings and champion stories, et cetera. So uh, we're still on the gas pedal for that. And uh, at the same time, we're we're looking ahead to our first indoor race, January 6th and 7th at the PPL Center in Allentown. And then it gets pretty busy from there. Every uh, week in January, there's there's something. We're not uh, involved with uh, the EMPA convention there. The following second week of January, but then we go right to motorsports and uh Greater Philadelphia Expo Center on January the 20th, 21st. And the next week we go to Atlantic City for the Gamblers Classic weekend on the 27th, 28th. So we're, uh, we got to get all our ducks in a row here right now and kind of get ahead with it because once it starts, it uh, rolls one to the next. Yeah, it's a big trickle down, right? So let's start with the, the TQ and Slingshot indoor stuff along with the Champ Carts. How did, that whole concept come about and you know where did that all start from well i when i was younger uh, my father had uh, the novelties at a lot of uh, different tracks uh, we were at reading every week there for well quite a few years 10 or 15 years and we had novelties at uh, east windsor and flemington and uh, new egypt and langhorn and trenton and just about everywhere, save in the Allentown Fairgrounds at one point for their special events. Uh, so he did that to kind of get the business started back in the 60s and early 70s. And uh, one of the one of the things we did was the indoor races in Atlantic City in the wintertime. And uh, back then, uh, there was nothing. There was no gambling in Atlantic City. They would set the track up and run three times and never have to take it down. <laughs> the guys would even, Some of the guys even left their cars there. The TQs would just sit there until the next race, uh, and and I, you know, I grew up going there and selling novelties and uh, and watching those races, and um, I I wanted to uh, bring that back. Uh, uh, George Stockinger was the promoter, and uh, he was getting up in age when the union, uh, the uh, uh, 
the gambling came to Atlantic City, and uh, he was a member of the electric, electric electricians union, I think it was, and uh, he uh, he had some insight that he got him was able to get the building, and once the uh, gambling came in, uh, they they remodeled it for hockey. They brought a hockey team in, and uh, the racing went away because of the date availability and uh, and the cost involved. And I had tried to get that back and uh, was unsuccessful originally. I started the motorsports show in 86 and uh, did well with that. And uh, we uh, we were able to get an indoor race in, in Philadelphia at the old convention center. And we ran micro sprints there and uh, sold the place out, did really well with it. But they brought LaSalle basketball in the next year uh, while they were remodeling their place. Uh, or building a new place, I think, for LaSalle basketball was at the time. And uh, we lost a chance to do it again and uh, kept kept trying to get in Atlantic City and, and finally was able to do it. And uh, uh, from Atlantic City, it kind of grew from there where we did Providence, Rhode Island, and we did Baltimore and Trenton. And uh, now we've, uh, we've added Syracuse la- last couple of years to it. And uh, and it's just uh, really built from there. Yeah, it's um you know Atlantic City in itself. I know from going the last few years, that is just even for people who aren't necessarily diehard racing fans or part of a team or supporting of a driver. That's just the show to go to just for the whole environment of the weekend itself. I know last year, of course, we had a huge amount of snow that hit. <laughs> um, you know when. We look at these dates, especially being that these are all during what I don't even know there isn't off season anymore, but they are in the in the winter months. You know, with the snow last year in Atlantic City, what kind of added stress does that put on you to make a decision on what you're going to do going forward? Well, it's it's very stressful. And thank God uh, this will be our uh, 20th year of putting on the races. And uh, other than COVID, uh, uh, we've done it every year. So this is our, our, our Friday night. We're making up the the race we lost, the Gambler's Classic in COVID. So we're actually having two big Gambler's Classics this year, not just one. One on Friday night, one on Saturday night. Uh, but uh, it was only, I think, the third year that we did it that we had a similar snowstorm. And, uh, and we really struggled to get to be allowed by the state to run that event, even though we were only an hour from getting started when they wanted us to cancel. It was at six o'clock on Saturday night. Fans were going, uh, you know, fan fest was going on. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't get the crowd that we're looking for and it's financial loss, uh, of big proportions, but it's still, you know, everybody's there. We want to go on with it. And, uh, you know, at that point I almost quit three years ago, the third time the third, uh, the third race that we did, it was such a financial loss, but, uh, you know, we we got ourselves going, and we were fortunate to have some really good years. And uh, this year, we uh, we wanted to go ahead. The building was in our favor this time. Uh, we didn't have to fight them about it, and uh, and we made it happen. You know, there's enough people that come in town and and come in town on Thursday and stay there. And the snow was again on Saturday since they'd already been there two days. And you know, we can't come back. There's something scheduled the following week, so. Um, there's no rain date. We got to have it. And then if there's any way possible, we're going to do it. And, uh, thank God we've been able to do it every time except for COVID. Yeah. I know the, uh, the outlets there in Atlantic city made some profit off of the, the snowing this past year as, uh, 
I know myself and some others went shopping for snow boots and some boot socks and and what have you. We weren't exactly prepared for what was about to come. But uh, no, I mean, even with the snow, there was still a ton of people there. It was a great turnout. So one thing I noticed, too, I want to get your take on, you know, I watched the show at the Dome last weekend in St. Louis, and they were having intermittent breaks due to the air, you know, with all the fumes and and fuel being burnt off. Have you ever come across anything like that with running your indoor shows to where, you know, regulations come into play or something to that effect where you have to worry about getting all those fumes out of the building? Uh, Atlantic City is, is probably our most difficult because of the age of the building. And when we first went back there, they weren't getting many much funding, state funding to do repairs. And uh, the roof and the and we were lucky that there's a convention center, the old Atlantic City Convention Center, is attached. And we're able to use that as a pit area, bring all the trailers in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that, that roof used to leak in that building just horrendously. That When it was raining hard outside, people even used to put tents up to keep their cars from getting wet. Wow. Uh, I mean, it was that bad. And then over the years and just most most recently, they've really got some funding there and they've they put on a new roof and uh, they've made a lot of repairs. And, and one of the things along the way, originally a lot of the fans, uh, exhaust fans in the roof, had not been used for years because of the inactivity of racing or anything like that in there uh, that they didn't open as they should have. And uh, we we were able to put some fans up, uh, temporary fans that the building puts up to blow it because we only had one exhaust fan going out, and that was uh, uh, at the stage side. So if you notice, there's that beautiful curtain there in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. The biggest vent is behind the curtain, on the stage. So we have to have the curtains open and, and we push all the air down one end and it goes up. But, uh, and we had it, you know, and they moderate the air, the board of health, uh, originally was really tough on us, uh, not knowing what a, what a bad level was, but in recent years, uh, they've got to see that we don't even come close to any dangerous levels. Uh, now, especially that the vents have been opened up over the years and, uh, it runs pretty good, but uh, we also, if you notice, we probably have the the fastest track crew in the world as far as cleaning a wreck up and going back to green, because the last thing we want to do is ride around and ride around under the yellow. Uh, the cars don't burn off the fuel, uh, you know, uh, properly. That they're they're running rich, and and that causes more of your more of your issues. So we uh, we rush. Uh, to get back to green and that our crew gets them lined up quick. The guys are out on the track and we put them on dollies, get the cars out of there and go back green as quick as we can. So uh, um, we, you know, the PPL center in Allentown where we start is a brand new building and it's modern through a computer system, the CEO level. Uh, so they, they're not even using probably half of what they could. Uh, they just adjust it as it automatically needs it. You know, where our feature is longer than anything else we do, um, so that, you know, they might need something more towards the end. And the, the new building in Syracuse has uh, got a tremendous uh, ability to pull fumes out uh, as well. So we're in pretty good shape there. Wow. So also along the lines of the indoor stuff, of course, one of the news breakers over the past few months was the announcement of going back to Trenton with the micro program on dirt. What were the thoughts about bringing this back? Well, the, the last time we did it two years ago, unfortunately, the, the event had been building 
it's by far the most expensive we do because of the 70 truckloads of clay that have to be brought in and and you have to you know build the thing you got to have heavy you got to run heavy equipment uh guys are there a much longer period of time setting up and and moving out um trenton was a it was a great location for us uh, it's right where we're located outside of trenton uh, so it, it, it helps a little bit, and uh, and they also are one of the buildings that aren't as busy as the rest. They used to have a hockey and basketball team. They don't have either, and it's a great facility. They just uh, they're just not as busy. So we're able to get an extra, you know, it's a ten or twelve day deal almost to get moved in and get moved out, and they work with us a little bit on that. The last time we did it, we had built up to the point where you know we we weren't. We were still losing money, but it wasn't as much. And we had, we knew we had something that was going to be great. And the last event we ran was fantastic with, uh, you know, our winner coming all the way from the F main and, and being able to travel through all those letters and, uh, make a last lap pass to win. I mean, the racing was just off the charts and, uh, and then we get into COVID and we, you know, we, we get shut down. And then last year to make that commitment, in the middle of the summertime, not knowing what the COVID regulations were going to be. Right. Uh, we, we had a skip on it. And then this year here, we're, we're going all out. I hope people just don't forget how good of a race it was there. Uh, and we're, uh, we're back at it, uh, getting more, more fans than ever. Cause I really think if anybody that went to that event, I mean, they, that's the one thing that I guess all the time is when you're going to bring the Trenton dirt race back and, uh, and we are. So hopefully fans come out and support that. Well, you know, it's the good thing about when it is. It's shortly after the Chili Bowl, which is right after the Tulsa shootout. And I think everyone that is into that type of stuff or into the smaller cars and and they watch that stuff on flow and they get that inkling like, OK, I want to see this stuff live for those who can't afford to go out to, you know, Tulsa to see that stuff. This is the perfect uh, situation for for people like myself and others, where okay, we can go see this stuff live, and you know, it's it's funny you bring up the whole COVID thing because I'd actually never thought about that. Is you had to book this so far in advance, and with the COVID restrictions, not knowing what the situation was going to be like, I think everyone was just under the assumption that well, it just it's gone away. And not realizing that was the issue. So now seeing it back on the schedule, that makes perfect sense. And yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, Keller going from the F main. And again, I referenced the Chili Bowl. Everyone's always looking for who's going to be that guy that runs the soup, who can make it through. And you had a perfect scenario there with that happening. Last lap pass was great. Um, It just made for the perfect story. And I think... People are going to be hung on that to want to go back again uh, here in a few months. Yeah, that exactly. And and we also, which was very helpful, was we had some of the name drivers, uh, Billy Pouch and uh, Billy Pouch Jr., uh, Mike Mahaney, uh, Larry White, uh, Brian Montes that entered Micros and gave us a little bit of name recognition as well, as long with Alex Bright and Danner and the guys that run the Micros regular that run bigger cars. So. It, it gave us some little uh, name recognition that people came out. And like you said, they seen how good the racing was and, uh, um, and no dust, you know, the clay that we have, uh, and how it's been stored for, 
for two years. Hopefully, it's still just as good as it was before. It should be. It should be. So uh, we're we're looking for a really big event there as well. And, you know, yeah, getting back a little bit to the COVID situation, we we entered all of our all-season events last year, not really knowing what the regulations were going to be for the racers or the fans. Uh, in Atlantic City situation, it wasn't until two weeks before that you know, that we were told that the people uh, had to wear a mask on the way in, and then when they walked the hallways, but they wouldn't be monitored, they were, uh, you know, they were enticed to wear a mask. And as it turned out, racing people were kind of stubborn. They didn't wear them at all, but <laughs> they just had to wear it in to get in the door. That was all, thank God. And and we didn't we didn't want any security people to approach anyone that was sitting down or even walking around. And there was no no issues whatsoever. And same thing with our Syracuse event and our motorsports event. Um, they uh, we we didn't find out till late that you didn't even have to wear one. You know, it was your option, um, which was uh, again helpful. But you just don't want that issue where somebody pushes someone to do something they don't want to do, and then you have a little bit of a confrontation. So we were, you know, that was another thing with, that we really were scared about in Atlantic City, and. Uh, and then it turned out only be the snow was our problem. Everything else was terrific. Yeah. So uh, segueing with snow being an issue, I don't know why, but it seems to always want to happen that third week in January when motorsports is happening. Boy, I can't count how many times that has been the issue. Um, so motorsports, you said you started it in 86. I know it's yeah. bounced around different locations, Fort Washington. It was there in Valley Forge, too, at one point. Um, I would have been three at that point when you started motorsports, not to make you feel old or nothing. But <laughs> what was the scene like prior to motorsports when it came to people doing the same thing they're doing at motorsports, where they're advertising, you know, whether it's the manufacturers or it's the drivers putting their cars on display? What was around before that? In this region, there really wasn't anything like that. Um, that's why it took off so quickly. Um, there, there was a trade show uh, down in Daytona, the Circle Track trade show. There was no PRI show or anything like that at that point. And that uh, just gave us the idea to do that and to promote, the, you know, be able to promote racing and using, you know, national stars to get kind of the people in the door and then sell them on short track racing. And, uh, and it just kind of clicked where it's a fan and a racer show together, and it just clicked really kind of right from the start. Um, you know, we were really lucky to get, you know, some great sponsors along the way, and the, the Valley Forge Convention Center, where we first started, we were only on the lower level, one floor, and then before we left, we were using all three floors and a tent in the parking lot, and it was just an outstanding location to do it, and uh, the party afterwards was off the charts, and you know, and uh, they've got a great reputation of having a really good time and uh, going to a show. Unfortunately, we just simply outgrew the place, and Fort Washington opened up, and it was a it was a great move for us, allowed to expand, and uh, that that worked out well until they surprised us, and 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 you know they closed it and sold it to a alley, bought it for an office complex, the whole entire deal, and. Uh, we moved to Atlantic City for a couple of years and did the indoor races and the show at the same time. And then when the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center opened up 10 years ago, I guess it is now, or 11 years ago, we moved uh, we moved into there, and it's uh, it's been a great home ever since. What are some of the 
the headaches that come along with organizing motorsports and till it opens up on Friday. I mean, what are some of the issues that you consistently run into? Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of planning, you know, certainly the space, uh, my son Danny, uh, took over from Joe Pratt, uh, who had passed away. He was a great friend of mine and he was involved in everything. He sold the advertising here at Ariato and he did the, the motorsport sales. Uh, Danny, uh, was just a teenager at the time and he's taken over, done a great job, but you're, you know, you're trying to, you know, fit all the blocks in and uh, make sure all the spaces are filled or not overfilled. Um, organizing the help. Uh, we do a lot of that on a lot of these buildings. Uh, some were restricted because the unions of what we're allowed to do. Um, but uh, most of them we do considerable that. And, and for motorsports, we do. We we man all the doors. We move all the, the move-in, make sure everybody gets in in time, sets, a, sets up on time, hotel accommodations for our help and things of that nature. Um, my indoor races, I, I'm just so lucky that I have two young sons, both in the 30s now, but they've been doing it long enough. They've been doing it since they've been a kid. But uh, Davey does all the setup of the indoor races as far as the he's the first on location with his staff and putting up the fence and guardrail and, and you know, the concrete wall move in. And Trenton is the huge undertaking for him with all the dirt and organizing all the dump trucks and people to set up the track that all goes through Davey. Danny does the promotional side of it, the selling of the sponsorship and uh, uh, the rules. He's the race director and he handles uh, the building type things. And I just kind of do less and less every year that I can and try to stay back and, and manage it from, from the upper scale side instead. Well, I think that's a, that's the key too is, not a matter of doing less, but you're passing it on to the next generation and letting them, you know, take the brunt of everything and and uh, not phasing yourself out per se, but that's the way the business goes. And with age, that's what happens. Um, yeah, that, that really helps out with the troubleshooting. And, and I'll take more of the painful stuff side of the building, you know. If, if you say, you know, if you have a fire marshal who has a problem with something, and they generally do, certainly Atlantic City, they'll find something and... Uh, you know, you still have to pass all those things before you open, and uh, you know all the all the details that you don't really see so much. And I also handle Victory Lane, and uh, more so on the novelty side. Back what I started doing, you know, making sure those people are set up, the doors are ready to open, and all those details. Because once we get into race mode, then Davey runs all the the infield staff, and Danny's running the races. He can't really be dealing with box office issues or. Uh, parking or things of that nature so I, I kind of stay on that side of it right right so now getting into of course i what i would consider the biggest thing you have going is the newspaper so what was the first what was the original date of the first issue first issue was in uh summer of uh, 1963 wow it was in june or july my father and uh my father mother and uh a man named Harold Rulon, who uh, worked for the Trenton paper a little bit, and he scored at uh, at uh, East Windsor and Flemington. He was, he'd been around racing for a long time, but he knew a little bit about the printing industry. And uh, he uh, they kind of got together and put it was only four pages and covered basically the tracks in New Jersey the first time. 
um, New Egypt and uh, was an asphalt track or Fort Dix, I think it was called back then, Flemington, Old Bridge, which is no longer around, Vineland, and uh, that week Harmony opened up in Flemington. And he also carried, I think he carried Nazareth as well. Um, he couldn't do a whole bunch of four pages, but he, he got it printed and he sold it for a quarter and, uh, you know, he had no circulation he had a couple of local advertisers and he got it going and kind of, kind of grew from there. You know, I was, uh, I was only nine years old at the time. So me and my sister would sell papers and, uh, kind of, kind of whatever help we could do. And when we went eight pages, it was flat printed. So we actually had to stuff them in the beginning. And then, and then in time, he had, he was a real good business guy, and he he came up with a scorecard program that gave that went with the paper to make it a little bit more. It had the points of the track in it and things like that. And he gave that away a different one at each track, and that that kind of worked out and um, helped sales. And then he started selling subscriptions, and it kind of kind of built from there. And soon, uh, you know, we had to get a better printer and run more pages and. Uh, and that back then it was all uh, hot type, which was each uh, each line of the paper was a slug of poured lead uh, uh, called a linotype machine. Oh wow! And it was all laid down in forms, you know, and then cast it into a cast. Uh, each uh, two pages were on a, a circular type of plate that was made out of cast lead, and uh, that these things were probably weighed a plate that went on a press maybe weighed. 25 or 30 pounds and they were put onto the presses and then printed from there. So it was actually like a, a rubber stamp type of printing where the, the ink was actually going on the embossed side of the, the plate. And then it moved to offset and from offset we went color. And uh, I came in right at the end of the, the poured lead deal there. I did about a year of that. That was a hot shop. I mean, it was boiling pots of lead everywhere. So, Ooh. And uh, you know, which was extremely hot in the in the uh, summertime for sure. And I worked I worked one year at the last uh, at the print shop there when we we were doing that. And that was really bad. But no, I, I, that's when I thought we needed to move into the new offset printing and doing phototype. And from phototype, we went into you know the digital that we do now. It's just so much more easier to do. <laughs> it's 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 unbelievable. Yeah. So. <clears throat> of course, you guys cover, God, a lot of tracks on a weekly basis. And, you know, if it's not a big article, it's definitely results or at least winners are, you know, are mentioned. Yep. When So I'm thinking when all these tracks are finally aware of, you know, what you guys have in, in the paper and the periodical and, okay, well, we want to get our stuff in there. We want to get our results to you guys. Is it now to a point where tracks are working with you to get results to you or is it you have to rely on your writers to obtain all that stuff um a majority of the tracks do work with you um unfortunately as the trend has become more and more to some of these tracks to not care about how many fans are in the grandstand but how many cars they put in the pit area and additional classes um you know back in the 60s you know, Flemington ran two classes. Reading ran one. You know, and then it went from two to three to now we have tracks to run eight or nine classes. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately, they some of them don't even send us the results. Uh, you know, uh, 
before they used to have to fax it or uh, or mail it in, and and now it's today it's easier than than ever. Yet you, you go to a track that has a website, and a lot of them don't even have websites anymore. They just have a Facebook page, and it, it might say Saturday Night Race was rained out, and that was three weeks ago. Yeah, they haven't even updated anything anymore. Um, it, it you know the the hard hitting publicity is not. Not like it used to be. It used to, they were knocking on your door, and you almost have to go look for some of the stuff now. But uh, uh, again, because it's easier to do what we're doing, it gives us a little more time to search. And uh, you know, there was no internet when we started, so you couldn't search a track. You used to, you know, if I went to Reading on a Friday night, and I wanted to know right away who won East Windsor, I had to call the office there before eleven o'clock because uh, they had 11 o'clock curfew, and they were out of there by then. And once they were out of there on Friday, ain't nobody answering the phone until later in the week. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you got a friend that you can call and find out who won, you you weren't going to know until you went to Flemington maybe on Saturday, and somebody, you, you talked to one of the drivers, say, hey, what happened last night or whatever, you know. Um, the news wasn't readily available. So, you know, obviously results finding out who won is a whole lot easier today. Um, and that's why we change our focus a lot to more hard-hitting news. And, uh, you know, our slogan for the last 10 years has been more than who won. You know, it's why he won or why someone didn't win or, you know, what happened or what, what's going to happen in the future. You know, that's that's more our – we've become more of a news magazine than we are a race result coverage. Yes, yes, I have noticed that. And that's a good thing, though, too, because, I, you know – I see every week I I do a, a results recap and I have to go searching for results, just like you mentioned, and some places are harder to find than others. Um, but it's easy to find for the most part all the results. So when your paper comes out, you're right. Most people that really want to know probably already do. But what I like is the difference in articles that are there in the paper. It is more of a news magazine. There's a lot of uh, you know, I love the opinion section that uh, Ernie Saxon likes to provide. Um, you know, your articles that you write are great and just a different perspective from different people. I think that's the the main focus of it, I think, is it's not just, oh, well, I already know what this is going to say. It's not necessarily true. Yeah, and, and the race results are still important because mm-hmm. uh, if if a if, if a fan is a, a fan of racing, uh, they 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 have a specific area or a driver that they would follow. But I, I'm I've always been under the understanding that people really care about outside of the area as well. Yeah, you know, if you're a sprint car fan at Williams Grove, you might not go to the Attica website to see what happened there. But we provide you know Attica and Fremont. And uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the same thing with New England. Uh, you know, Ted Christopher ran our indoor races. You know, prior to his death there in plane crash, mm-hmm. uh, he he was the biggest fan of auto racing. And from reading our paper, I, every time I saw him in a NASCAR modified race in the summertime, his first thing would be a topic of, "Hey, did you see what's the deal with Fred Raymer winning all these races this year?" You know, or, or what about Billy Pouch? How about the season he's having? You know, he, he read every article, you know, or he he was just, you know, if it was Formula One or whatever it was, you know, he, he was up on top of every form of racing, not just his own. Uh, he wouldn't go searching that out 
specifically, but when the paper came, he sat down and, and read all those articles. And uh, one of the uh, biggest things that, uh, again, in my mind, was another driver from up there, Mike Stefanik, mm-hmm. who's a multi-time NASCAR champion. Uh, my son Danny was running uh, the Wheel and Modified Tour at the time, and so was Billy Pouch Jr., was had entered as a rookie the, the one season. And uh, I was at Thompson, Connecticut, the icebreaker in the beginning of the year doing an interview with Mike Stefanik and Billy Pout Sr. walked by and, and Stefanik just stopped and said, hey, is that Billy Pouch, the dirt modified racer? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, why? Oh, man, what's he doing here? Uh, well, son's racing. He's a rookie. Oh, well, could you introduce me to him? He's like my hero. Well, that's how he knows. You know, he read, you know, Ariato or Speedway scene back in the day. And uh, and he kept track of all those type of guys. And they're all intermixed. And, and I think that's what we give as far as race results. You know, the guys uh, from New England are reading and seeing what sprint car guys are doing or the dirt modified guys are doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Keeps us all in one big world. Right. So one of the things I've run into with what I've been doing with this podcast is, you know, I can't cover every track across the country because, God, it would take me six hours to do an episode every week. Um, But at what point do you have to figure out, Okay, like you mentioned, Attica and Fremont. Where do you draw the cutoff line for coverage on, I wouldn't say the national stuff, because of course the outlaws are going to be wherever and, and, and so forth. But when it comes to the local tracks, you know, where do you draw the cutoff? And also to that point, I'm sure every race has a story in it. Where do you have to make the decision on, okay, well, this kind of supersedes this? Well, yeah, that's pretty hard. I mean, our nucleus is in, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, New England, you know, uh, Delaware. But we cover Bowman Gray because the interest is that his that has mm-hmm. uh, everywhere, really, and especially in New England because of the asphalt modifieds. And we cover the Smart Tour in the South. Um, weekly tracks through Ohio, mid-Ohio, somewhere out there. Uh, and then, of course, all the traveling series that you'll see out here. So, you know, we're not really interested in covering uh, – you know, a Saturday night race in Missouri, per se. Right. Unless it's a big event. And then, you know, each each event has its own uh, space. If we have a special writer that's there all the time, then we have a, a writer in Florida that covers New Smyrna and Volusia and those type tracks on a regular basis. And he tries to keep it to a northeast twist that people will be interested in. So that, that kind of works for us. And people go down there and speed weeks and they go to New Smyrna and they see the late models and they get to know Brad May and Rogers and some of the, you know, some of their local talent and the late models. So we keep them informed how they're doing all year too. So, um, it just kind of flows through it. And, uh, you know, it all happens real quick. We have to be at the printers at 1am on Monday morning. So it's, <laughs> and it's, you have to uh, dedicate what size page you're running at five o'clock at night. So, that's when the difficult decisions come towards the end. Yeah, I'll say for one o'clock in the morning on Monday. And I know you guys definitely cover NASCAR in there. And that's some of them run pretty late on a Sunday. That's impressive that it still makes print. Um, yeah, we again, we've we've gotten back on the, the NASCAR uh, 
coverage a little bit with Dave Moody on a page of his column, and, and Ernie writes about him a lot, and mm-hmm. so does John Schneider and those people. Uh, but, you know, the Ashker coverage is on live television, you know, every week, and, uh, you know, you can find that where where you need to be. So we, we do less on the coverage. Uh, back in the day, we covered the qualifying for the Cup, you know, a, a story with that. And now they, they don't qualify anymore, but everybody is already qualified. So that kind of takes that out of the equation. Yeah, yeah, that definitely does. And the race is already run before the people read the qualifying story. really don't make much sense. <laughs> yeah, you got a point. That is absolutely true. Everything's bang bang with them. So yeah, the race is already over before you even see who qualified where. Right. Um but yeah, so one last thing before we start to wind this down, I wanted to ask you is of course, you know, everything's digital nowadays and everyone wants their their information in front of them on their phone all the time. How has I know you guys have a digital version of the paper, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of people option to subscribe to. How do, how has that changed since the availability of that to it? How many papers are you sending out and how many digital subscriptions? Is it starting to change as far as more digital? Uh, there's more people I think have gone to the digital, but it's been, it, it really surprised us. Um, when we when we first got into it, I thought that maybe it would transition to that more quicker, but it really hasn't. And uh, the business people in the sport, I think, read it because I get response from them pretty quickly about something. Certainly, if they don't like it, because they they've read it on a Tuesday, you know, right? Um, Tuesday morning. But uh, the general readership uh, that that we've had over the years does they still want that hard copy? They. They feel comfortable. They've got Wednesday or Thursday reserved, and if they don't get that paper in the mail that day, they call us and let us know about it. You know, which was good because we complain. Certainly, if it's an habitual problem, if it's a one-time mess up that the post office, you know, put put it in the wrong mailbox or something, it's hard to explain that. But if it happens on a regular basis, uh, and and the mail service has been pretty good, uh, with the exception of some COVID issues, obviously with with help that they had, but the uh, you know the it, and it's got more expensive because of the postage. Certainly this year that uh, we we've addressed that. You know with our increased prices, are, are you know I think it's something like seventy five thousand dollars more this year in postage than it was last year to mail the paper out because of their increases. But wow. people still are willing to pay it. Nobody's barked about you know the increase of the postage because we say it's it's half the price if you get it online because it's all postage. You know. And uh, our readers still want it. Still want that hard copy. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep them happy. To, you know, as long as we can, and keep doing that. As long as the post level, they settle down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I know a friend of mine. Um, he, I don't know how he obtained it, but I want to think he got a hold of like ten years worth of '60s and '70s papers. Mm-hmm. And he keeps him in his trunk, and every time we're at the parking lot before we go into the track, he's pulling him out. Hey, read this one. Hey, read this one. <laughs> it's so funny, but you know, digitally, I don't know that people are going to be able to do that down the road. So it is kind of nice to say, you know what? I have the original paper. I mean, I had, you know, this when this happened, and so forth. So. You know, I think that's it, it is kind of a novelty, if you would say, um, to be able to have that in your hand. 
Yeah, and it, it's amazing. I mean, the uh, how much the newspaper itself means to people when you know a driver wins a big race or something, and they they call and say, "Hey, I, can you send me three or four copies?" or or you know, if you to track and you're there, like, "Hey, do you have any extra copies?" You know, my son won his big race last week, and he wanted me to get a couple more copies. You know, that type of thing. Again, the internet's it's going to come and go. I mean, our our uh, our online deal is all archived. So once you're an online subscriber, you can go back and pull out any edition since we've gone that route, uh, which is nice. But it's still not like something you can put in your uh, scrapbook, you know, or hang on your wall or whatever. Um, so I, I I think that's special. And a lot of the people have their special reading time in the bathroom too. I mean, yep. they don't feel comfortable taking their computer with them. That's what I I hear that more often than not. <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, are papers still available to purchase outside of a subscription? I know they, I at least know they used to be at Turkey Hills, uh, the paper would be at. They still they still are in the uh, in the Harrisburg and the Reading type area mm-hmm. at different stores. Um, that's through a news agency, but unfortunately there's not as many other newspapers around. Like right here in Trenton, we had a news agency for years that went away about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and they're, they're at selected stores and things of that nature that called us up and, uh, and uh, you know, wanted them because people would, you know, loyally come in every week. But the mail service is really so good, at least in, in this region, that people get it on Wednesday or Thursday, really, and it's it's a lot cheaper buying it, a subscription, than it is $3 a copy. So it really kind of makes sense to do it that way. I think most people have just moved to that. Right, right. So um, as we wind this thing down, are you ready for the green-white checkered segment? Three random questions? Yeah, go ahead. It's time for green-white checkered on the four-wide salute. All right, your green flag question. What activity do you waste the most time on? I know the what paper the, doesn't count. What activity do I waste the most time on? Yep. Outside of racing? Outside of racing. Uh, the Phillies. I'm a big Phillies fan. Uh, I like to go when it rains. I'll uh, just go and walk up and buy a standing room and go to the Phillies game. So I really kind of enjoy that. That's cool. I see you guys picked up a new shortstop from the Dodgers. So a uh, little bit more hope added on to this great season that they had this past year. Yeah, one of my major disappointments was when the Phillies went to the World Series the last time, my printer called me up and offered me tickets for the championship and a National League championship game in Philadelphia against the Dodgers. And I was in the infield at Super Dirt Week, which I wouldn't have traded for the world, but <laughs> I, I couldn't go. So, um, other than that, uh, the Phillies deal has always been very satisfying. Nice, nice. Your white flag question, what is one thing people would never guess about you? Uh, I don't know. Pretty much my life spent at a racetrack. So I think uh, most people would, uh, certainly that know me, would kind of an open book because I write about everything I do, basically, or where I've been. Um, I don't know. People today probably didn't know that that I sold newspapers when I back or did the novelty business. I also did the buttons with the... Uh, driver's pictures and go, uh, you know, go Chamberlain, go, go Plosky, go. Oh, okay. I, 
I had the button business, uh, something my father set me up at a young age, and I was a photographer before I was a writer. So, uh, okay. But there's the things people might not realize. Well, I, I definitely would not have guessed the novelty stand aspect of things, so that also counts. Yep. I sold programs at Trenton Speedway, too, which I was really hated to see that go, because that was a good cash cow for me as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, pr- you know, <laughs> programs in general are a dying thing, right? Yeah, it, it really is. We still do them for the indoor races. Uh, Steve Barrick uh, works for me now that did program dynamics, and he uh, he did, I think, 20 different locations at one time. He just does Wall Stadium now. But, uh, yeah, and, and a lot of that's because of the, really, really, I think, the lack of the fans and the grandstands in a lot of these places, unfortunately, except for special events. The weekly shows have, uh, have changed a lot, and I, I don't think it's, necessarily for the better i think they're too long and there's too many classes that all look alike well well and so i look at it this way too like when i was a kid i went to granby penn national and big diamond of course and i love getting that program because for one i could look and go okay that's that guy on the track all right that's Mm. his name or okay there's a place for me to write the lineup and write the results down but I think now with, again, with everyone and their cell phones now, you can go on Race Monitor and see all of that information. You can go on My Race Pass, which has taken off, and do kind of the same thing. But when I go to Grandview nowadays, there is a woman who sits right in front of us, and she's got to be in her 80s, if not older. And she brings a thick notebook every week, and she is handwriting every lineup and every result for the entire night. Right. And it's that, I think it's because of, it probably started with her buying the programs and doing the exact same thing. Do you still, do you see people do that young and old, even in baseball games where they score the entire game? It's just part of the enjoyment of being there, you know, keep track of the game. Right. I also think it's a, it's a learning thing too. um, You know, for especially the young fans to, be able to thumb through a program and find out about these drivers. And, you know, I love how new Egypt does their driver of the week uh, post on social media and they include all these fun facts. Um, That was something that you always saw on a program. So yeah, it's a, it has definitely been changing. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and I, if I go to a track that I don't commonly visit and certainly if I'm doing race results, I like to write down the lineups you know, people that say, oh, why don't you just take a picture of it? But there's a mental deal that when you write it down, you remember who that is a little better. And uh, Bob Kripening used to write for us years ago. He did every race he ever went to, and he kept them. You know, when he passed away, they when they gave me all these books, it was week, he'd go to Williamsburg every week. He still wrote every car down, driver's name, phone, and his car number. And then a little notation if his little thing was his color code was different or he had a different sponsor he would note that and he just keep record to that and he used it in his corp shorts was at the end of his column he had all these nice little notes about you know just about everybody in the pit area if he could right yep and you're just that middle thing it really does help i absolutely agree absolutely all right your checkered flag question what has been one of your favorite stories that you've gotten a chance to write over the past uh, oh man, there's so many of them. Uh, that would be really hard. Uh, I'll, I'll bring one up just because I, I was researching something for a story last week and I came by it and I totally forgot about it. 
But I wrote about a driver, uh, 1991, that raced a Potomac Speedway with no arms. And uh, he, he drove with his foot, he used his foot to steer, and and one for the gas, and one one drove. And he drove in the street stock division at uh, Potomac Speedway. And we had his picture on the front page with his semi-late model, which basically is a street stock. Right. And uh, and he I, I had never seen him race, but I I called him and I did a story on him, and he was he was quite the jolly guy, and he was determined that he wasn't going to let the fact that I think he was a, a electrician, and he, he lost both his arms when he got electrocuted, type thing, and uh, and and he drove with no no hands. I thought that was pretty amazing, probably the most amazing person I ever talked to. That, uh, so I, I would say something like that. That was that was pretty different, and I only brought it up because. I did the BAP story about them getting an outlaw race, and that happened to be when they ran their last outlaw race. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had got to go back to find information about that. Okay, yeah. I There was a, a young kid who just ran the Chili Bowl last year from Central PA as well. There's I forget what the detail is, but they had to build some kind of custom – steering situation for him as well due to again i forget what the disability is but he had something similar and you know i give craig whitmoyer credit every time he's out there and he manhandles a car with his uh his one hand and and the hook locked onto the other i mean it's it's got to be tough it does yep yep jimmy mcguire did that with midgets and he ran modifieds too he ran with a hook Years ago, and he was very good with it. He lost his arm in a racing accident. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess determination takes over, and uh, you can do anything, right? Yep, if you really put your mind to it. You know, he didn't really care. I think he did okay. He stayed out of trouble, but he just wanted to prove that uh, he could do it, and he sure did. I can't believe that he drove with his foot. I don't even know how he could sit in the car and do that, but pretty amazing. Yeah, that's... uh... Wow, that's a new thing to try and wrap your head around, how you can (laughs) control a race car, especially with a race. I mean, I guess you would say asphalt is probably easier because you're not constantly going left to go right and vice versa. I mean, wow. Woo, that's a wow. Dirt truck, yeah. That was quite amazing. Quite a gentleman. Wow. Well, Lenny, I definitely appreciate your time. I appreciate coming on the podcast and, uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you definitely at AMPA Banquet and Motorsports and the indoor stuff. I'll be at all of them. So. Well, it sounds good. I hope everybody comes out. Uh, Allentown was uh, was really uh, good on Saturday night. We were a little disappointed on our Friday night show last year. We figured something out, and uh, we changed the way we did their track. And after that, Atlantic City was better, and Syracuse was the best. Uh, at the end of the year, we're now the uh, – the drivers in Syracuse, uh, they learned in Atlantic City that if you're leading the race, you take the outside, now the inside, because the outside lane's faster, and it's just made our racing so much better, and hopefully uh, it'll be that way in Allentown. I'm sure it will be, because Saturday night was real good there last year. Yeah, and I'm definitely excited for the double features in Atlantic City, too. That's going to be awesome. So, Yep, sounds good. Wish you the best of luck, man, and I'll be seeing you soon. Okay, thank you for your time. <laughs>